And that's where he comes from Revelation chapter 2. Revelation 2 this morning. Reading the first seven verses. Revelation 2, 1 to 7. Revelation 2, starting verse 1. Please give your attention. This is the word of our God. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. And found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned your the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the work works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the worst of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Text for our sermons, 1 John chapter 4. We continue in John's first epistle, 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to be looking again at verses 1 to 6. Before we hear this word read once more, let's pray is, and ask the Lord to bless the reading, preaching, and hearing of that word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come again before you. We thank you for this word that is perfect and is complete. Lord, that you have revealed yourself to us. We praise you. You have shown us all that we need to know for life and godliness therein. So we ask, Lord, that you would help us to believe it as we hear. Or what helps to be attentive to it, help to base our lives upon it. And Lord God, pray and comfort as we hear it. Lord, in all of it, we pray that we would be drawn closer to our Savior, our beautiful and faithful Savior, our powerful Savior, Jesus Christ. For today's name we pray. So all God's people said. Amen. I'm in 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Please give your attention. This is the word of our God. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit, the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God's list, God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of Aaron. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our Lord indeed endures forever. 
Well, so far we've seen in 1 John, John giving a series of tests. A series of tests. Uh, some have referred to these as moral tests. Right? How do I identify the children of God on the last day at Christ's return? The transformation of our bodies to be like Christ's body. And then how to identify the children of God in the present day, we've looked at up to this point. And they are characterized by what? By practicing righteousness, by a love for God, or love for his church, obedience to Jesus, the word of God. So up to this point, John's given these moral tests so we can identify the children of God, that you may know. And then in chapter 4, John gives another test by which we can identify the children of God, especially those who claim to be teachers, true teachers. And it's been called, uh, different commentators, the theological test or the truth test. In our passage this morning, this is what we see. John explains how we can discern the difference between true teachers and false teachers by this test, this test of truth. Because this is the infallible word of God, it is ever fresh and valid and important for us, just as it was for the original hearers, recipients of this letter. So John begins once more in verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Again, recall uh, the occasion of John's letter. There were false, there were these agitators in the church, these false teachers who came up in the church and they denied the incarnation of Christ. They denied the incarnation of Christ. And they're leading people astray from the church. And John tells them not to believe everything that someone told them. They were to what? The faithful were to test and discern and determine whether a teacher's claim was genuine of God or not. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. And John made this strong antithesis between the truth and a lie, between Christ and the Antichrist. And the false teachers are part of that spirit of Antichrist. I remember in chapter 2, he said, children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know this is the last hour. And so John continues with this reasoning and gives here a theological test, right, a truth test, for the faithful to discern someone if someone is a true or a false teacher. And he goes on to explain once more, by this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus, Christ has come in the flesh, is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming about least in the world. And so remember, John's writing this to the church because they were saying that Christ had not come in the flesh. No incarnation. He only appeared to come in the flesh. only seemed to. But he was essentially a ghost. And so for this reason, John says, those who confess, anyone who confesses that Christ has come in the flesh is truly from God. And on the other hand, if you deny that, you say Christ did not come in the flesh, that teacher is not from God. And so let's think a moment about this situation, this test. Right? You might think, because it's easy to do, that this just means uh, you have here a test that requires a mere profession. Right? Yes, Jesus came in the flesh to be rendered of the truth. Right? That's what you get mechanistically. But I don't think that's what he's going on here with Jonah. It's not a litmus test uh, that reveals heritage to us. Um, right? Or we would line up and uh, and answer that question. Do you believe Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? So yes, I do. If okay, you're all good. Go on. I don't think it's simply that what's going on in John's mind because from the context, there's a broader principle here uh, 
The context in which he read this letter, call again, is that that's exactly what the, these people were denying, the incarnation, that he had come in the flesh. And John was teaching the faithful that there are certain doctrines, certain truths of the faith from Scripture that are absolute non-negotiables, right? non-negotiables. And in this case, it's the incarnation. So one cannot claim to be of God or of the Christ and deny the incarnation of Christ. And so that's this test. By this test, John was shown the faithful, how they they can identify false teachers or true teachers, heretics in their midst, if you were, if you will. And these teachers, these false teachers came and they were professing a love for God, a love for Christ. So that was their impulse that they claimed to be walking in the light, but actually they were walking in darkness. John is once again revealing, pulling back the veil to help the faithful congregants to realize what is actually going on. When he says here that there are essentially only two spirits in the world, right? There's the spirit of Christ and the spirit of Antichrist. There's not a tertium quid, it's not a third thing. The spirit of Christ will affirm the truths of the gospel, specifically, again, here, the grace, right? The incarnation of Christ, God come in the flesh. The spirit of Antichrist will deny this truth, will deny truths of the gospels as they deny the incarnation. So John got the, God's word here in John. Uh, he gives a moral test and then a theological test. And then he moves on to another test. Um, I call it the fruit test. We call it the action test, right? What is the fruit of this truth? And see in verse 6 here, he says the children of God have uh, a first have respect for the authority of the apostles, right? This is in verse six. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. It's very interesting here that we make this connection. The truth is so is closely connected to their conduct, right? Uh, specifically their submission to the authority of the apostles. It's saying they don't listen to us, they're not from God. He said to children of God, those who belong to Christ, listen to the apostles, those in whom God has given his authority. And right on the other side of that, he said those who are not the children of God do not listen to the authority of the apostles. Right? And John says this is how we can identify the children of God. Right? He's saying if you refuse to listen to the apostles, John says these people were in error. But if you obeyed and listened to them, they were of the truth. Right, so the teachings of Christ, that's, that is the apostolic deposit that was given and handed down to the church, entrusted right, to man, carried on, called, trained, tested, confirmed, commissioned, and sent man to preach and to proclaim and to teach. And that apostolic deposit is the Bible. It's our, there are scriptures, Old and New Testaments. Right? The apostles were the sent ones. The, the word means sent ones, sent. That means their authority was derivative. Right? It wasn't their authority. It's given to them. It's not their own. They were sent. They weren't self-sent. They were sent by God, by Christ. And so John tells them, those who he's writing, that rejecting their teaching and their authority is what? He's rejecting God. Rejecting God. He says there's another way to discern the difference between teachers of truth and those who walk in darkness. And that's rejecting God as he speaks through his appointed apostles. <clears throat> What do the false teachers listen to? Right. Verse 3, they are the spirit of the Antichrist. 
Uh, they listen to the spirit of the Antichrist. Then also in verse 5, it says they don't listen to God, but that they are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. Right? And we've seen the history of the church fall in these areas. Right? And the church always, in every generation, would do well to keep itself from being attracted and enamored by the world. By the world. We are to be attracted rather to Jesus and enamored to the person and his work. Right? Heresy teaching churches, there's another thing about them. They get a lot of media coverage, right? Because love, the world loves to hear good news about its bad habits and about the sins of the church, the failings of the church. And so the word, world revels in having its sins celebrated, right? Absolved by godless lying apostles rather than covered by the blood of Christ. Where alone covering is found. They are from the world, John says. Therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. False teachers are not from God. They're from the world. So they listen to one another and the world likes what it hears because those teachers belong to them. John doesn't hang out on a fence here, right? They're sitting on a fence, they go gray area. One is either of Christ or of Antichrist. The Lord says through his apostle, children of God, listen to him. Because the false teachers are far from the truth. Their residence is actually not in the church, in the church at all. It's in the world. The world listens to them. It's the same thing that the apostle Paul talks of, speaks of rather, uh, in 1 Corinthians 2, and he says, and we impart this in words taught not by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person, the non-believer, the person of the world, does not accept the things that his spirit gone. For they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned, but they are of the spirit. As God's people by Christ were commanded to what? Not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we may test and discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And as we do so, we begin to look more and more like Christ rather than making God look more and more like us. So that's the action test or the truth test. Do you follow Christ? you trust his word? Are you sitting under it or is it sitting under you? The false teachers said they followed Christ, but they refused to submit to his authority, right? His apostles, his word. Someone who refused to listen to God or his word but claims to teach and stand for the truth shows that in reality he has no familiarity with the truth. The truth is a stranger to him. But we consider what we have here, we're again confronted with this ongoing, ever-present tidal wave of teachings in the church that are completely contrary to the word of God. But the trend of many churches is to downplay the importance of correct doctrine, correct teaching, truths of scripture to compromise. It's not that important. These things need to be fought against in every generation. One of my professors said that the church must always defend God's word from those who be corrupted. In every generation, must always return to what the Bible says and what the, what the Bible says about itself. He gets to say, the Lord. For a long time, the title, uh, the tilt, if you will, the, the, the trend was anti-intellectualism. Right? You're familiar with this. 
Not that it's not over, but uh, that's where many churches uh, were going. Doctrine divides for that. I don't want to know about Jesus. I just want to know him. Don't give me doctrine. Just give me Jesus. Of course, it's not possible to know Jesus without knowing about Jesus. The more you know about him, the more you love him. We don't tell our husbands and wives, please just stop talking. I don't want to know any more about you. I just want to love you. It's silly. And I played the church for a long time. I'm gone and brought our evangelicalism, right? Um, still does, but it's unsustainable, obviously. But related to this is, is, is an experientialism. Experientialism, kind of uh, mysticism that rejects truth. Right? Sacrifices truth for the sake of experience. Right? So that knowing takes the fun and excitement away. Targets emotions in worship. Reject the truths for feelings. Right? So whatever's going on in the culture, whatever the big push is, truth is not for me. We need to get on that train. Knowing scriptural truth continues on the decline. But you see, brothers and sisters, how much weight John, Paul's known, puts on either the affirmation or the denial of God's word, the truth of God's word. In this situation, the incarnation. He says that denying the incarnation of Christ places you completely outside of the church. Right? Outside of the church. Not just an eclectic weirdo or a strange Christian. Out of the church, you compromise the faith. This is in the spirit of Antichrist. So if you affirm the incarnation, you're a child of God, and you're dwelling in the Holy Spirit. And John doesn't belong to this. This hard line, this hard line on the truth of the gospel. It runs through the course of scriptures. Right? In the garden, what was it? Either God's word's true, or the serpent's word is true. Or like the prophet Elijah, you remember, in the prophets, the Baal. Right? Elijah came near to all the people and said, 1 Kings 18, how long will you, will you go living between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, then follow him. Or think of the exclusive claims of Christ. Right? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Or Acts 4. There's salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we might be saved, must be saved. Right? So these are non-negotiable points. It's non-negotiable. It's not small map. It's one that's consistent throughout, from the very beginning to the very end. There's a dividing line between the truth and the lie, between Christ and the Antichrist, between salvation and damnation. And John makes the point of wanting to clear to us. Right? We can never forget the truth test. The importance of scriptural truth, the doctrine in the church, biblical precision is imperative. It's not just a nitpicky thing, it's imperative, it's everything. But we have to see that this isn't the only thing that John is saying here, but it's important. Gloriously balanced as the, what the scriptures are. Sometimes in some places, this is the only thing that matters. Right? By the way, I'm sure you know. I think of uh, if you've been in the church for very long or uh, particular branches of the church, ours, for instance, they have candidates for the ministry or for elder nominees, right? Often a person's mastery of doctrine uh, gains the most respects. And they're precise. They have all their positions 
uh, mapped out and all the dotted I's and cross T's. But this is not the sole issue that qualifies a man for office or even qualifies them for respects. Because I know many men who have had all of this theology type locked down and no love at all. No aroma of Christ in their life. And I've seen them the great damage to Christ's precious body. So we see these two points, right? Doctrinal precision and a heart that loves Christ and the errors that come from either one of those being absent. In the letters reported for us in the beginning of last of the Bible, the book of Revelation, as we heard earlier, that yes, doctrine is imperative. Praise God, you know I love it. The test, the truth must pass. The truth test must pass, but not to the exclusion of the fruit test. Okay? The fruit test. Uh, once more, Revelation 2, verse 2, this is to the church of Ephesus. Jesus says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. And so Christ is saying, through John, that the orthodoxy of this church at Ephesus is impeccable. They passed the truth test, right? Of theology, we got but then notice in verse 3 how they fail the fruit test, the action test. It says, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you first had. Right? So of impeccable theology. But they had abandoned the first love. Essentially, they had abandoned Christ. It was never fall in love with theology and doctrine rather than the person that the doctrine is about, Jesus. It's everything. It was hold to theological precision, hold to scriptural truth, know it, understand it, get into it, love it, because of the person it speaks of. We can never neglect the fruit test, the fruit of truth test. We can never leave off uh, our love for Christ and for one another, because good theology always, and doctrine always has to filter down to the be lived out in our living. I love the doctrine of justification, but not an abstraction, right? It's like we exercise faith, or we have faith, not an abstraction, it's in a person. I love the doctrine of justification by faith in Christ, and all that flows from that, that assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Spirit, increase of grace, perseverance into eternity. The doctrine always has an end. God must be glorified. Hearts must grow to love him more and more. Living must reflect, our lives must reflect knowing. Right? Belief the practice are connected, right? Practice solid belief. And so we see this with the, 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 the church of Ephesus, this, um, this praise and condemnation. We see the other side of this if we go back down to uh, Revelation 2, verse 19. To the church of Thyatira. Right, listen to the problem that's addressed here. Verse 19, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. Right, that's the fruit test, right? Screen. Verse 20. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my service to practice sexual immorality, to eat food sacrifice to idols. Right? 
It's never an either or. Doctrine or truth or right practice, it's a both and. And let's take right things about God. Let's have correct doctrine. In first John, it was the affirmation of the incarnation of Christ, Christ coming to earth. We also see, need to see the fruit of that in our lives for doubt. Right? In first John, the submission to the apostolic authority, as John speaks and writes to them. In our context, in all times, it's submission to the Word of God. The Word of God. There aren't apostles today. The sent ones have been sent. And their word, they were sent, uh, carried along by the Spirit, has been scripturated and preserved for us in the sick and books of our lives. John's given many, te- many tests up to this point. Many instructions and evaluations. So long to go right to the doctrine and stay there. The call in the Christian life is to be full orb and full orbs. First, the theologian used to speak of the analogy to a soldier. Right? Speaking of you want gospel truth in a heart that loves Christ as a soldier. Right? The two arms of a soldier. You don't want a soldier going to battle with one arm. Right? You need both arms. Being full orb is a result of being a child of God's manifolds. We're to be marked by practicing righteousness, walking in the light, loving one another, loving and following Christ for all of life. Simply put, if you love Jesus, you'll be concerned about truth. You will be concerned about orthodoxy and doctrine. And you'll also put it into practice. You'll also put it into practice. We say you have to practice what uh, uh, walking manner. It's aligned with what we say we believe. It's our mouse. Stellan warns here, as it does, we need to be very wary about you know, some of the errors that we've seen in the church. Is matter guru leaders or figures that rise up in the church? Those are so really in their own minds. They just can't seem to get along with anyone else, can't breathe with anyone else. They're always correcting, never loving, never learning, never humble, never quite like Christ. Sometimes they just start their own denominations because they just can't submit to anyone else. And that is just simply what? Refusing to submit to God's authority as revealed in his word. As exercised by God through his duly appointed pastors and elders and the means of grace, particularly the ministry of the word. Theological knowledge must be lived out. Precision must be lived out. Must be seen in the lives who study it, the lives of those who study and know it. Must not only grow the mind, but grow the heart to conform to Christ. Must strive for truth in word and deed. Always. Well, when we see these things in the church, it can cause us to weep. It can cause us to be depressed. It's sad to reflect on the heresy that harassed the church, the John Wayne II, or the heresy here in the church in our own day. And it makes us think that the enemy won, that the enemy won. But the Antichrist, he was in the world victorious. And when we feel this way, we must go again to God's word and hear, trust, and believe. And he verse four of our hands today. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he was in you who was greater than he was in all. The gates of hell on prevail against the church of Christ. 
Christ has overcome the spirit and the Antichrist. He's greater than the Antichrist. The Christ, in the end, has won the victory. He's greater than our hearts. He's greater than he was in the world. He's conquered all his and our enemies. And to this we may rejoice, always. Rejoice in this truth. May make our thinking and our growing and affect all of our doing for our good and most importantly for Christ's glory. May we grow in our love for Christ as he becomes ever more central and precious in our lives. We give him praise and grace to follow him in truth in all of our lives. We follow him to his word. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your love for us. We thank you that you've given us a sugar word. Thou left us to make things up or grow up around in the dark. We pray, Lord, we, we continue to submit to us. As we go about in our lives, we're harassed and lied to by the world, the devil, and even our own blind hearts. And we be corrected always by your word. That we would be changed thereby. Father, we pray that you help us to believe what we have heard. We thank you that you have raised us to walk demons of life or helps to believe who you say we are rather than who we feel to be. But also know that we are free from shackles, the bondage and the guilt of sin. Help us to follow Christ, his glory. Father, we do pray for this church for your work in the city. And when we do pray for all of us, as we go back into the world, go back into uh, our, our weekly lives, that we would be refreshed, refreshed with the knowledge of the gospel, and the knowledge of who we are, that we would indeed be used by you, the expansion of your glory. Uh, protect us, pray for those who are suffering, uh, on a particular issue at this present time, or spiritually or physically or relationally, whatever line may be, Lord, we pray that we would look to you in all of our suffering and know, Lord, that you are sovereign and that you're even the God of the resurrection of the dead and we'll meet new and all these things will be wiped away at some point. Or pain and crying and tears, we know all so we pray that that hope and the truth of the reality of eternity would drive us even in this life and give us comfort, give us joy through those things. But we pray for the children of this church, to protect them in their lives, that you would continue to love them and that they would know that love. And that as they fall, as they stumble through, they're growing up, that they would come again and again to Christ and they would know him as their savior. They've served and followed their lives. Father, we pray for those who are single here as well. We pray that you would continue to bless them, give them the comfort of your love, and they would find their, uh, be satiated fully in Christ at this time. Lord, we pray that you would work in their lives. Lord, that you would, with your sovereignty, your providence in their lives, be evidence that they would rejoice in their Savior. Father, bless the parents who are here. Or help them to be loving, self-sacrificing to one another. Uh, Lord, as they raise their children, that they would do so, uh, being bare and honest before them, asking for forgiveness, and praying and seeking Christ together with one another and with their children. Father, be with us all, we pray. Pray that the gospel will go out in this city and around the world, 
for your glory, even to our missionaries. Protect them as well. We pray that you would be with us now as we continue behind this worship service. And we pray, Lord, that you would indeed continue to lift us up and give us a clear picture of who we are, and most importantly, who you are. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Yeah.